and welcome to 3Q, where I interview industry professionals for just 15 minutes by asking three powerful questions. I'm your host, Rachel Vogel, and joining me tonight is Jeff Kempler. Jeff is the COO and co-founder of Lava Media LLC, which includes Lava Music, a record label that has signed artists like Greta Van Fleet, Jesse J, Kid Rock, and Lord. Prior to Lava, Jeff was the COO of Subrosa, an award-winning global strategy, design, and branding practice. He's also served on boards of several entertainment ventures, including Jay-Z's Rockefeller Records, and he's counseled numerous household name clients as an entertainment lawyer. So Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. How's everything going? It's going great. I'm happy to be here. I love what you're doing and honored to be a guest. Thank you. Well, with that, let's jump right in. Imagine for a second you're sitting down with your 25-year-old self. What one piece of advice would you give him on a personal note? And what one piece of advice would you give him from a business perspective? So to date myself, I was thinking about this question to date myself. Uh, when I was 25, it was 1989. And I was, I would have been um, getting ready to graduate from law school um, in New York. And I think at that point, I was um, probably a little caught up in like the Wall Street era, go, go, you know, 80s, um, where probably half my classmates were heading to um, be like junior Michael Douglas's in the Wall Street movie, going to work for Goldman Sachs or something. And I, I was pretty convinced at that point that I wanted to be in the entertainment business. Um, was a huge music fanatic and um, film and TV too, but music was where my heart was. So I think if I were to go back to that era and talk to that person, I probably would have said, "I know you think you know what you want to do, and that's fine." but like keep the aperture open wide for other possibilities and other things that come across. So having said that, I'm psyched that I spent most of my life in the music business, um, both on the artist side as a lawyer and, you know, helping to run some of the major labels on the other side of that equation. But I, I think to my young self would have said, um, keep the, keep your eyes open, man. There's, there's a lot of stuff out there that might be fulfilling. So what was like the defining factor that brought you to Lava? Um, so I met Jason Flom, who had founded Lava in the early 90s as a junior lawyer working in my hometown, Atlanta. Um, and the um, founding partner of that law firm where I worked handed me a file and said, this guy's got a real hot hand signing acts. I think he had just you know, had like, I don't know, Hootie and the Blowfish and Collective Soul and, you know, it was sort of on fire. And I had this client named Edwin McCain um, who had a ballad hit called I'll Be. And uh, I had just met Jason and I got this file from from my boss saying like, this guy's got a new employment agreement um, to become the head of A&R at Atlantic. This was in like 1992 or 93, something like that. And I met Jason and it was sort of like a perfect match. I was a real sort of ambitious, uh, hard-driving lawyer type. And he was the magical wonderkin A&R exec that he's well-known for being. And we just sort of paired up well. And that was that was us, so 30 years ago. Wow, incredible. Okay, question two. Mm -hmm. Every industry has its dirty little secrets, and we all know that it's no different in the music industry. Sometimes people think that's a bad thing, but that's not always the case. Sometimes they can be positive. What's one secret you would like to share with our listeners about the industry? Um, can I give two for the price of one? Of course. So I think secret number one is not 
exactly a secret in its fact, but is probably an underappreciated dynamic in terms of its degree. And that is, um, it's a, it is such a relationship driven business. And you could say that that has to do with like, you know, it, it's not who, you know, it's what, you know, but I'd go a little deeper than that. It's that even with technology disruptions or changes in the way that music is marketed or the way that deals look at the end of the day, if the people who are dealing with each other have a high degree of, I would say, respect and appreciation and literally enjoy each other's company, that has as much impact on the business as the business does. So, and, you know, I think people know that as you're coming up in the business, that it's important to be respectful and kind and a decent human. I cannot overstate enough how important it is also apart from the critical human aspect of that, just in business dealings. Like I, I I know when I was making decisions and had a bazillion phone calls to answer deals to do or a limited amount of money to deal with the, the people that were um, decent humans just always got, you know, they're on equal fair share of whatever it was simply because they were pleasant and honorable to, to work with. So that's one. And then the other, which is much more business oriented answer is that I think, very little is understood about how the music business, um, both on the record side, on the publishing side, operates uh, from a budgeting perspective. Like how in the beginning of a year does a label or a publishing company set its budget? Where does that money come from? What has to happen in terms of selling records or you know, optimizing copyrights to generate revenue? What needs to happen in order for that to work? And then what are the knock-on effects of that budgeting process on how humans behave, which is something with the benefit of time that I've come to really appreciate and that people tend to tend to behave in accordance with how they're rewarded. The mm-hmm. way they're rewarded is very much set in budgets, you know, compensation, bonuses, your department budgets, et cetera. And that's a really underappreciated science to the mixture of art and science that is the music business. And the dirty little secret is that it drives a huge amount of everything, marketing budgets, hiring and firing. Everything is coming downstream of the way that budgets are created um, and doled out. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. So I'm curious, I want to step back for a second to when you went to law school and you became an entertainment lawyer. Do you say that that's still a huge part of your job today? Um, yes and no. I think, you know, I, I stopped like actually practicing law uh, well over a decade ago and maybe more like 15, 15 years ago. I, I had gone to, um, let's see, I was at Island Def Jam as the head of business affairs until 2004 or so, left and went to Atari for a year um, where I was the general counsel. And I think that was like the last legal job I had from 2005 when Flom and I went to Virgin and then Capital and created Capital Music Group, I was the COO um, looking after how the label sort of ran and had lawyers doing the lawyer thing. But it's still a big part of how I think. It's mm-hmm. it, that notion of like, what does a contract look like? But I tend to think of it much more operationally and psychologically now than I than I would have as an actual lawyer being technical about the law. I think about it more in terms now of like being really clear about what the expectations are, you know, what does it mean to make a commitment and to stand by it. Um, so I've become a bit more, I don't know, sort of philosophical and operational about the law side now. 
Interesting. Up next, throughout your career, I can only imagine you've been asked a lot of questions, whether for industry conferences, the media, or even a promotion. But throughout all of those interviews and all of those questions, there has to be one that you've never been asked but would have liked to. So what's that question and what would be your answer? It's I love that question. Um, and my answer is actually somewhat um, uh, borrowing from the intelligence behind that question, which is I, I think it's almost never asked uh, by anyone in any circumstance, what is the thing you're not saying? Like, what are you not comfortable saying? What are you afraid to say? What are you not supposed to say? Or what do you not yet trust me to say? And so if you are a manager representing an artist, you know, for for example, I've never been asked by, by an artist manager that question, like, what are you not telling me? And how can I how can I achieve some level of comfort and trust so that you will tell me that and that we can work on that together? I know that may sound a little woo-woo and a little bit relationship like coachy or couples therapy or something, but it's pretty powerful. And I think about that in terms of um, a concept I've been obsessed with for a long time, which is how to accelerate candor and how to accelerate trust. You think about it in a new relationship or a like a zero sum financial relationship, like an artist and a label where one wants money and the other doesn't have as much as the other one would like to get is how could you in that circumstance create more trust and more candor more quickly to eliminate pain and inefficiency along the way where you're not too sure what the other person means, or you spend a lot of time after the phone call with your cohort saying, well, I think that what they really meant was, so how could you get to a place by asking the right question, as your question asked me, of what is the thing that we haven't talked about and why not? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, again, if I could go back to my younger self, to have the bravery to be candid and transparent, and to also have the courage and to merit getting that from the people that you're dealing with. And I think it probably goes back to the beginning of the conversation of behaving in a decent way so that you invite candor and trust earlier than someone who's sort of you know pounding tables and acting crazy or being unreliable or skeezy in some way. So yeah, that's the, in a nutshell, my answer would be the one question I've never been asked by anyone really is that uh, question of what are you what are you not telling me and why very very good question i would say that's one of the best that has been said on this podcast uh, well i i would just encourage i would encourage people to try that out in you know with your with your significant other with your kids with your friends you know with with anybody because it's such a vulnerable and and kind of naked way of um interacting that you, you might get a it might be a little scary but it might also be very rewarding for all involved well, Jeff, it has been wonderful having you on tonight. To everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay tuned for next week of 3Q, where I interview industry professionals for just 15 minutes by asking three powerful questions. See you next time.